This past uh, Tuesday night, uh, Linda and I left after centering prayer for what is becoming an annual ritual for us, and that is we go down. Uh, Mom and Dad told us about three years ago, listen, we're trying to get rid of stuff. Stop giving us stuff for Christmas. We're not interested. There's nothing so amazing you can give us that... Now, they didn't say it in those words. They're much more gracious and kind and tactful than that. Uh, but it was clear, you know, they're trying to... Every time we go visit them, they're trying to give us stuff to take out of the house. And if we're bringing stuff into the house, it's a challenge. So on Tuesday night, we drove down to Mom and Dad's, and then we took a journey together, uh, the four of us, Linda and myself and Mom and Dad, um, to Nags Head. They love to sit in a, we, we have this, these condos we've been staying in, we like, we rent a room and we watch the ocean roll in, uh, we watch the sunrise sometimes, uh, Dad always watches the sunrise, I think he essentially watches waiting for like four hours quietly uh, because he's awake so early. But we make this ritual because we've come to realize how precious time is. And I, I think that what brought it home to me uh, to stop taking things for granted is when, you know, uh, my best friend died three years ago. Uh, I got so used to being able to talk to Michael on the phone that I kind of, you know, we kind of let some time slip by and, you know, first it was like uh, two or three weeks and then it was a couple of months and then, you know, it was four months and then Kristen is texting me to tell me Michael is really sick but not to call right now and then Michael died. And I sort of took for granted he would always be there, that I was entitled to Michael's presence, that I was entitled to... Uh, to spend time with him whenever I wanted to. And that entitlement led me to a place where I thought I deserved everything. You know, you get to that place where you take everything for granted. This air I'm breathing right now, this relationship I have as your pastor. You know, I, I even take for granted that the United Methodist Church is going to be the United Methodist Church. And right now they're, they're meeting in uh, uh, St. Louis to decide whether they're going to stay the United Methodist Church or the Divided Methodist Church or I have no idea what they're going to decide and uh, in the end you know it's in God's hands it's not in mine and uh, either the folks that are there are going to listen to God or they're going to listen to themselves and that's why we get to step seven. Step seven let me read to you um, just because I didn't print it in the printed update this week, I have no idea what uh, came over me. Usually I print it at the bottom. Uh, step seven is this. Humbly ask God or our higher power to remove our shortcomings. Humbly ask God for us as followers of Jesus. Humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Now, uh, I want to read to you a little passage, um, just a short passage. I've read it to you before. You've heard it before. Um, in fact, relatively recently, I read it to you, but I'm going to read it to you again. It comes just before uh, the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer, and it's about prayer itself. And in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 6 of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says this, but when you pray, go into your room by yourself, shut the door, 
and pray to your Father who is there in the secret place, and your Father who sees what is secret will reward you. In your prayers, do not go babbling on like the heathen, who imagine that the more they say, the more likely they are to be heard. Don't imitate them. Your Father knows what you need, what your needs are before you even ask. Before you even ask, God knows what your needs are. So then why do I need to pray at all? God already knows. God already is, is clear. In fact, oftentimes God knows what I need so much better than I do. I've got a list of things that I'm sure I need that God's probably looking at and saying, dude, stop babbling. You know, stop the babbling. That's why that whole thing is right there. Stop babbling. You don't need to give me a list of the things you need. I know what you really need. I, need, I know who you really are. You don't even know who you really are most of the time. You're all stuck on who you think everybody else thinks you should be or who you think you should be or who your parents think you should be or who society tells you you should be or who your ordination committee told you you had to be or who the bishop who ordained you said you were or whoever you know, that first pastor was told you that you were. For all of those kinds of realities, God knows who I really am. Not the pretense I might put out in front of people, the guy who knows everything, because let's be honest, that's pretty much not me. The guy who knows some things, yeah, I can put that guy out there because he's pretty real. You know, I know some things. I'm just not always sure which ones of them I really know and which ones I only think I know, but we're not going to go into that because we would digress. The truth is, we need to confess what we need for God to remove because we can't do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves, and we've got to own up to that. I'm not entitled to the breath I'm breathing right now, but I feel that I am. But this breath is, is a gift. You know, without realizing it, every time that we say the Lord's Prayer, we're thanking God for the gift of the food. Give us today our daily bread. It's received as a gift. It's not an entitlement. How many thousands of people die in the world every day because they don't get that? It's not an entitlement. It's a gift. And we're fortunate to receive that gift when it comes our way. So if we receive everything as a gift, it changes the way we receive those things. It changes the way we feel like we have any right to hold on to those things. Like they belong to us. Like, I belong to me. I don't. This church belongs to me. No, it doesn't. You know, even the denomination that I feel is so important to my life that shaped me from the time I was a child. Well, it didn't really because it was the Methodist Church until 1968 when it became the United Methodist Church. And apparently, you know, maybe it wasn't as united as I thought it was. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. And in the end, the only thing I can absolutely be certain of is that God is God. And for me, that's a truth I know. And I know it by my own experience. I know it in part because it's what the Bible said. That's where I had to start. But the reality is, I know it because I see it in everyday creation. Long before there were written words, which by the way, are only a couple thousand years old. Long before there were written words, Paul tells us in Romans that we can see it in creation itself. 
It's right there written, bright and large, in the singing of the birds, in the lapping of the waves, the consistency of God, the depth. As Linda and I took some walks each afternoon while mom and dad uh, were uh, watching the waves from the room, we would take long walks on the beach, and I just thought, uh, one day as I was watching the waves roll in, how wild and wondrous the ocean is, how deep and unfathomable it is to me. And it's like God. You know, one day we wanted to see how, what, it, what the temperature was like, you know. But, of course, you know, what's the, what's the temperature like? You know, how do you avoid being submersed, you know, because waves are unpredictable, you know. So we, we tiptoed towards it. We watched it roll in. We made sure we weren't too close. And then we touched it, you know. And there we were. We touched the water. And it was really actually kind of warm. It was kind of warm. I was sorry I didn't take a bathing suit. No, I really wasn't. <laughs> No, it wasn't. But uh, it was not as cold as I thought it was going to be. But the truth is, we mostly dabble with God in the same way we dabble with the ocean. We touch the little edge, and we're convinced we know the whole depth. And every, <laughs> every time we're sure, we get to laugh at how deep and unfathomable and beyond our imagination is the God of the universe. And yet it's the same God in whom we have our being. You know, I used to tell you when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do when I look in the mirror is I would say, you know, I'm not God. Look at myself and say, I'm not God. But I've come to realize, too, I'm not other than God. Because in God, I live and move and have my being. God surrounds me at all times. God's within me. So while at the same time I'm not God, I'm not other than God because God made me and God's in me right now and God's both in and apart from me in all that I am. And that stretches the way I think about who God is and who I am. But living into this entitlement kind of mentality is the real danger of our lives. I'm entitled to be who I am, to say what I want to say, to do what I want to do. That's not so right. I need to humbly ask God. Humility is not something that comes easy to us. Can we just be honest about that whole thing? Humility does not come easy to us. In fact, we build up a wall of sort of arrogance and pride to protect ourselves against the rest of the world. And yet, one of the most important things to learn is humility. Humility comes from the root word dirt. <laughs> you know, hummus dirt, to be humble. Human comes from the root word dirt because in the biblical story, God takes some dirt and blows life into it and makes us. We are meant to be close to the dirt, to remember from where we came, not to lose connection to who we are. It's really easy for us to lose that connection as we try to make our way through this crazy world where it's important that we look a certain way, where we have certain titles and we have certain kinds of vehicles that we drive and we get certain salary levels, you know, and if we allow the fluctuations of our day-to-day to drive who we are, then one day we're, we're great and the next day we stink, you know. It's uh, the fluctuations of the way life is. One day my retirement account looks like I might be able to retire and the next day $150,000 just disappears. It's like, you know, what, what, how is that even possible? 
That's why they tell you don't look at your retirement account every single day. You know, one day I'm feeling like I'm wealthy, and then the next day it's like, oh my gosh, I guess I'll be working until I'm 90. Uh, if I'm still alive, you know, it's I don't know. Uh, the truth is, humility is hard to come by. And yet, we need to be able to ask God for what we need. We need to be open ourselves to the recognition that we can't change ourselves. And let me tell you what part of the problem is of trying to change ourselves. Is oftentimes in trying to change ourselves, what we end up doing is burying the very things that we think we're changing under a whole different pretty set of icing. You know, we make it look like something else. We bury the thing that we don't want everyone to see and imagine that it's gone away, only it's right below the surface. We just look humble. It's a kind of false humility. It's a false stance. That's why we need God to do it from the inside out. Absolutely for me, I cannot change myself by myself. I'd like to. And I would like to pull my own self up by my bootstraps. I've never seen a person lift off the ground, but somehow that's one of those things. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, all right? Well, I'm grabbing them, you know. Where am I going? I'm not going anywhere. Gravity still works. I, the idea that you can make it through this world on your own is a fallacy of the American way of life. I'm sorry. It's one of the things that's a lie, complete and absolute lie. And we believe it. Oh, look at those failures out there. If they only pull themselves up by their bootstraps, when really we ought to say to ourselves, there but for the grace of God go I. Oh, look at those slovenly drunks. Oh. Look at you, big fat liar. <laughs> look at you, all absorbed with yourself. Look at you, you glutton. Look at you, at you vain, prideful being. I mean, any one of us can point to somebody else, and maybe it makes you feel better for a minute that somebody else is worse than you. But compare yourself on all levels. You're not better than anybody else or worse. And guess what? The level playing field is this. Every one of you in the, in the image of God. And every one of them in the image of God. Everyone loved by God. Your worst enemy loved by God. Your best friend loved by God. Even you, when you feel unlovable, loved by God. Now you see, humility calls us to say, God, I can't fix this. I can't fix my arrogance. I can't fix my need or my, my sense that I have to defend myself against all comers. That I have to look good to everybody else. Like I have to look like I know what I'm doing here. If you haven't figured out in 27 years of my preaching here that I don't know what the heck I'm doing, you need to just, you know, uh, wake up. The best I got is to just give you a piece of what I've reflected on during the week. That's the best I've got. I don't have all the answers. All I've got is my relationship with God, and sometimes that is hanging by a thread. And the only thing I know is that God loves me. And there are moments I don't even know that. There are moments when I say, you have got to be the stupidest God in all the universe to love me unlovable that I am. 
Of course, that's just a nice pity party I can throw myself. I'm really good at those pity parties. I don't know if any of you have ever thrown a pity party for yourself, but, you know, it's really, I'm good. You know, get out some streamers. You know, let's have a cake for the pity party. Woo! Pity, pity, pity. But I need to let that go. I am loved by God in the same way you are. And that giftedness, for what it is, allows me to have this moment and to speak what I think is this truth in this moment. For a God who invites me to humbly say, I'm so arrogant sometimes, God. I feel so much need to defend myself. And it's not even my real self. It's this pretend self that I put out there for everybody to think I am. I feel so much need to look good to other people. Yesterday, Linda brought home from the, because she came over and got the mail at the mission house, and I, I got a nice card from Jeff, our district superintendent, you know, doing a great job, James, really effective, love your statistics, they look really good, and I appreciate Jeff doing that. I really do appreciate Jeff sending, he's the first district superintendent I've ever, I get a card from him every year, and even when the statistics aren't good, you tried really hard, James, you know, he sends me a nice personally handwritten card, and uh, I, if he, I suppose if he sent enough years when he said, you tried really hard, James, maybe it's time for you to try something else. <laughs> you know, I hear Annandale needs a janitor starting next week, you know, uh, maybe you should give that a shot. He hasn't ever said that yet, so I'm very fortunate, but I got that. And it was really interesting because in that moment, I felt both thanked and I felt puffed up. Puffed up, my statistics look good, my statistics look good, yes they do, I wonder what everyone else's looks like, oh, I bet you mine looks better than theirs. Come on, James. Me trying to fix my own arrogance? That's a laugh. Humbly God, I have to say to you, sometimes I'm really arrogant. Sometimes I'm sure I know all the answers. And in moments like that, please, Lord, help me. Please, change me from the inside out so I'm not so sure of this false self I've created. Change me so that I can be the person you made me to be because I know you will. I believe in a God who will change me from the inside out. But I have to admit the truth. That's why there are six steps before the seventh. Admit I'm powerless, work my way on through, and finally I can say, God, this is the deal. I'm really messed up. <laughs> can you fix this? And that's all God's waiting for. Not for me to say a whole bunch of words. Oh, God, I need that new Ferrari and the Porsche and the trip to the Barbados. And, you know, by the way, I'd like a really big house on Bali. You know, our servants bring me great things every day, and I can watch the sunrise. No, I don't need all those things. I can say, God, you see me for who I am. And in this moment, I'm seeing me for who I am. And it's not so pretty. I don't need to be arrogant. But I can't change it. I get a card from Jeff, and it... Puffed up dude. I hope Jeff keeps sending those cards. You know, I'm, 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 you know, don't get me wrong. But 
they're a reminder that I haven't arrived. None of you have either. But it's about admitting it to ourselves and handing it to God humbly, asking God to change us from the inside out. So, your assignment for this week. (laughs) Your assignment for the rest of your stinking life. You know, figure out those places where you stumble. What are the things where, where you maybe you don't ever have a problem with arrogance. Maybe you have a real problem with false humility. Every time somebody says something nice to you, you say, oh, no, 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 no. Or, you know, maybe it's something else altogether. Maybe it's vanity. Maybe you're as handsome as I am and you wish you could be as handsome as I am or whatever. And you look in the mirror. Whatever it is, beginning with step one, work those through for yourself. What is the thing you find yourself powerless over? Being sucked into the praise, being sucked into the next purchase, being sucked into believing the advertising that you're not enough unless you wear this perfume, being sucked into whatever it is, let it go. But realize you can't do it on your own. And that's step seven. God, I need your help. So that's your assignment. Be prepared to ask God.